Peter Knight comes from Luke 18, um, 1-8. Through, one through um, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, um, we come to you tonight. Um, I want to thank you for the faces in here that are new. Um, I want to thank you for the old faces as well. Um, I want to thank you for friendship. Um, I want to thank you for Chris Horn. Um, use his words tonight to touch hearts. Um, be with us this next week. Um, and let us look to you for guidance and not our own endurance. Um, give us rest. We love you. Amen. Good to see you guys. Welcome again to RUF. I uh, love seeing uh, new faces. I'm just sort of in the back thinking about um, when I was a sophomore in college and coming to something that was really intimidating. There were far less people in the room at the RUF meeting that I went to, um, but it still felt intimidating, like everyone knew each other, and I was like outside of the party. And, um, but that night I heard the gospel for the first time, and that was the beginning of my coming to Jesus. And uh, anyway, just thought you might want to know that random story. Um, so anyway, we're thrilled that you guys are here. Welcome, especially again. We, don't, we can't say it enough because we really mean it. We're glad that you're here, especially if this is one of your first times. I know exams are starting to hit this week. Everyone's freaking out this week and next week, so glad you're here. Um, so I, during the week, like one thing I try to do, when, if, if ever we get together, I would love to get together with you, have coffee or lunch. Um, and the conversation isn't always like a super spiritual conversation. We can just talk about whatever. But I always make sure that we pray together. And uh, some of you guys are here and you're the praying type. Some of you guys aren't. Uh, regardless, we're glad you're here. Um, but I, I wonder what are the reasons why you pray? You know, like what are the motives? Like what, what gets you sort of praying? Like when you wake up and you're the kind of person that wakes up and prays as they're running out the door to their class, um, what, what, what's the motivation? What's getting you doing that? Um, one good motivation would be a friend of mine. Uh, this would have been in the early 2000s, so if you can remember back way then. Um, she is sort of famous for whatever she prays for, it happens, like magic. Um, she's a sorceress, um, a Christian sorceress. No. Um, so, for example, she and her sister this one time were going to New York. And they really wanted to meet someone famous. So she and her twin sister prayed to meet someone famous. Okay? I don't know if you've ever uttered that prayer before the living God. Lord, please let me meet someone famous uh, today. This is what you do when you pray, by the way. And, um, and so not only did they pray to meet someone famous, they prayed that they would meet Vin Diesel himself. Um, <laughs> 
from the Fast and the Furious saga. And lo and behold, that day, as they were waiting to get into Total Request Live with Carson Daly on Times Square, they met Vin Diesel himself. And he invited them into TRL Live, and they sat, and they met Vin Diesel, they had to hang out with him. Um, if you got results like that to your prayer life, you would pray more. Like, I don't know if Vin Diesel is kind of your thing. Um, he's mine. Um, but that's a good reason. Like, if you were getting results, that's a great reason to pray. You know, There's no better reason to pray. Except Jesus in this passage tonight says that there's an even better reason to pray, even better than meeting Vin Diesel um, himself. And he tells us this story about prayer. And uh, if you haven't been here, we've been going through these stories in Luke's gospel called parables. And a parable is a story where Jesus uses something that we can see to show us that something that we can't see. Okay. So tonight, what I, what I want to do is I want to ask a question that we usually ask. What is Jesus trying to show to us? What is the invisible thing that we can't see that he wants to reveal? And then I want to look at why we need to see this thing that Jesus is showing to us. Okay. Pretty simple. Um, to understand what Jesus is revealing, we had to look at the characters. Okay, there's two characters. This is this parable is typically called the parable of the persistent widow, or the unjust judge. Um, I like to call it the parable of the mean judge and the annoying widow, because that's really what it's about. So you have this mean judge. Okay, the judge in this culture would have been sort of um, very much a have. Okay. A person in a power structure, okay? A judge in this culture would have been someone that decided disputes between people and was held in, in very high honor in a society that was all about honor, okay? So he's a very, very important person. But Jesus tells us in this passage that this guy neither feared God nor respected man, okay? He doesn't care anything about God and he doesn't care anything about his fellow man, which is interesting considering the guy is a judge. Like if you don't think that there's a God or like a higher power that's going to kind of bring everything right. And there's like a universal standard for right and wrong. Okay. And if you don't really care about people and the fact that people are oppressed and the unjust things happen, you need to fix that. Why would you be a judge in the first place? This would be like you hate the environment and you're a sustainable development major. It's just like... Why? Or like, you hate children. Okay, none of you guys hate children because you don't have children. Um, but, uh, like, you hate kids, and you are an education major, okay? Um, this guy is a judge who doesn't care about justice. He's a judge probably because being a judge can get him the things that he wants, okay? The higher he ascends into this position of power the more able he is to sort of get the connections that he wants, to get the wealth that he wants. He's sort of in a place of upward mobility with an ever-increasing paycheck. And this is why this guy is a judge. He is in a power structure to use the power for himself. Okay? Um, we have a Bible study on Wednesday mornings at 10. And one of the things we've been talking about a lot is how the world's politics is all about acquiring power and then using it to, to get an end, right? Um, and that's what this guy's doing. He's acquiring power um, to, to, for himself. And then there's this widow, okay? The widow is a classic have-not. Now, in our culture, we're like, 
okay, if someone was a widow, like let's say, you know, that your dad has passed away, um, and, and your mom or your grandma or, or your aunt is a widow, you would think this person has honor. This person should be held in honor. This person should be taken care of, right? This is an important person. But in this ancient Near Eastern context, the widow would have been at the bottom of the social pecking order because she had nothing to offer to society, okay? If your husband died, and it wasn't like widows were all people that were elderly, it was very common for your husband to die even when you were younger, you know, as young as, as y'all are now. And so a widow then, she would not get her husband's stuff. That makes sense. Um, it would go to a next of kin that wasn't the wife. So theoretically, whoever got that money and that stuff or that farm or those goats or whatever the guy had, um, theoretically, they would use that to care for this woman, right? Because she couldn't get a job. She couldn't make any money for herself. But a lot of times people would not take care of these women and they would often be sold into slavery or sold into prostitution in order to pay the bills, in order to survive so they would have food to eat. And the problem for her, for this widow, is that if she had an issue, let's say that the person that was supposed to care for her decided just to leave her out in the cold, she has nowhere to go. Okay? She can't appeal to any, there's no one that can help her. Okay, she can go to a judge, but the judge, it would be a dishonor for him to actually hear this woman. Okay, so you have this woman, she comes to this judge, so there's nowhere else she can turn to. Okay, this is her only hope. But for the judge, because remember, he's got the power for himself to get the things that he wants. She can't grease his palm. She can't slide a check under the door. She can't connect him to someone that's more important. She can't give him more prestige and honor. She can't advance his career. So he doesn't give her the time of day. Okay? In the world's politics, people acquire power to make something happen. Okay? They leverage assets to make something happen. In the kingdom's politics, uh, Jesus calls us to relinquish our power to, to give life and serve other people. This guy is not doing this. He is literally continuing a cycle that oppresses women that don't have a husband. Okay? This is bad news. This is not good. So in the end, what makes this judge actually listen to this woman is not the facts of the case. It's not that he reads over the court documents and suddenly realizes, oh, this woman does have a case and I should, I should hear her. Um, he doesn't feel his conscience sort of pricked by God and realize, I have to repent, I have to help this woman. No. He is literally so annoyed that this woman will not leave him alone. He says um, in verse 5, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. She is getting on his nerves so much. Because you got to think, if you are a poor and oppressed person, the only way that you could get something done is by literally badgering the person until they just gave in. Right? This gives a little bit more context to when people protest and riot, these kinds of things. Okay. Um, so this guy finally gives in to this woman because she's literally beating him down. So, what is Jesus trying to show us through this story? Okay. Jesus says in verse 6, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? He's saying, look, this guy is a judge. God is also a judge. Okay. 
Some of you guys come tonight and you're like, see, this is why I don't do the, the Christian thing. All you guys are talking about how God's going to judge people. I'm not really into that. Um, but the fact is, the Bible says, and we'll get back to that in a minute. The Bible says that God is the judge of the universe. That nothing is going to escape God's judgment. Last night, I was reading, I started reading um, the Chronicles of Narnia with my daughters. The one, like, just, like, chews on the sheet the whole time because she really doesn't care. Um, <laughs> but uh, my older daughter, she's kind of into it, like, she's listening. And um, last night we were reading, and we were reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and... Um, they were talking about Aslan, so there's two little girls, uh, uh, Lucy and Susan, and they're playing with Aslan, who's this huge lion, and they're tumbling around, and they're just having a great time riding on his back and playing with him, and he's so gentle with them. But then he says, I feel like I must roar, because he's about to go into battle. And he says, cover your ears, and they cover their ears, and they said the face that he makes when he roars is so terrible that they couldn't even look, they couldn't bear to look. This person that they, that they thought was gentle... When he roars and gets serious and gets into judgment, his face is so terrible that they can't even look at it. And Jesus is saying, God is a judge. And he's revealing that it's the kind of judge that God is, that he's going to judge the world. Now, okay. I, I set out to do these parables because I thought, like, oh, this will be fun. And this is, like, the most frustrating Bible study of all time. Because I'm like, yeah, I think I'm getting this. And then it's like, actually, it's not even that at all. And it's something totally different. And then I'm like, it's Tuesday. And I have to talk about something. Um, but this, this parable really confused me. Because when you read people talking about this, say, this parable is an argument from the lesser to the greater. Okay? Like, this guy is a judge. God is also a judge. He's an even better judge than this judge. Okay? But like... If the argument here is, heck, hey, you should keep praying because God is a better judge than this judge, I'm not, like, super inspired by that. Because this judge is, like, literally the worst-case scenario. Like, he hates God and he hates people. Okay, on Saturday, um, I was doing my one-in-seven routine of um, making my wife's life miserable by watching Auburn football, um, which I really care about. And uh, we had to have the, I don't really like you when you're watching football uh, conversation on Saturday, which is fair. And I was thinking it, but then she said it, and I was like, why did you have to say that? Um, but she's absolutely right. And the reason why I was so upset was because Auburn was favorite. I love Auburn football. You guys are familiar that Auburn is a college and they have a football team. Okay. Um, uh, and uh, Auburn was playing Jacksonville State University. You guys ever heard of Jacksonville State University? It's not even in Florida. It's in Alabama. And um, what town is Jacksonville State? It's not in Jacksonville. Do you know what town it is? It's like Gadsden, maybe. Um, Auburn was favored by 41 points. Okay? And they were getting beat down in the fourth quarter by Jacksonville State. And I was very upset. They had to go to overtime and do stuff to win. And it stressed me out. And so now imagine... Okay, Auburn beats a team that they're supposed to beat by like five touchdowns. Actually, six touchdowns. Imagine if I was like, you know what? Those Tigers this year are contenders for a title. And you're like, why? I'm like, because they're better than Jacksonville State University, Gamecocks. Um, that doesn't really like inspire. Like, yeah, I mean, I hope they're better than Jacksonville State. 
Um, they're just barely actually better than Jacksonville State. And so, why would Jesus say God is a better judge than this? I don't think Jesus is saying God is a better judge than this judge. Well, he is saying that. But that's not the argument. The reason why Jesus compares God as a judge to this judge is not because, Jesus, uh, because God is comparatively better as a judge. It's because he's a completely different kind of judge than the judges that we're used to in the world. This guy gives justice because she's getting on his nerves and he only executes justice to get what he wants. But God willingly relinquishes power and gives justice to people because he loves his people, because he's righteous, because he's full of grace. God uses his power as a judge for the good of other people. That's the kind of judge that God is. So the unseen thing that Jesus is showing us is that God is a righteous judge who is motivated by love for his people. Okay, so that's what he's showing us. Why do you need to hear that? Why do you need to know that that's the kind of judge that God is? Because if you're like me, you think God is very much like the original judge in the parable. You think that God is sort of obligated to hear you if you're a Christian, not assuming that you are. If you're a Christian, you think God is obligated to hear you, but he doesn't really care. Um, He's like a distracted dad, you know, like he's really actually busy, like working on the car or he has to go into work. And yes, if you badger him enough, he will give you the thing that you want just to get you off his back. But he doesn't really care. You have to beg him to watch you play. You have to beg him to watch you jump off the diving board because he's really distracted and doesn't care that much. And he's mostly just sort of annoyed. And this is why we don't pray. Because we think, God's probably just sort of annoyed with us and doesn't really care that much anyway. Um, God's like the dad in Mary Poppins. You guys see Mary Poppins? The dad's just like, just get out of here and stop making noise. Fine, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Just, just, just leave. And I'll tell you why I think that you think this. I'm not just like projecting. Sometimes I tell someone, like, I think this is what you're thinking. They're like, you're just projecting. Um, I've had someone tell me that. They were right. But sorry. Um, this, is, this is how, tell, I'll tell you where I hear this from you. I'll sit down with you and I'll say, so how's it going? And I'll try to like ask something about like, how's it going with Jesus? But there's no like good way to act. Like, how's your spiritual life? Um, uh, So I say like, how's it going with Jesus? And almost always the response I get sounds something like, well, you know, I mean, I'm not, not reading my Bible that much or like my prayer life isn't, isn't great. Um, you respond to, how's it going with Jesus with, I think I'm doing okay because this is the things I'm trying to do to get God to notice me. Um, or, you'll be talking about something. Um, you'll be talking about a new boyfriend or girlfriend, or you'll be talking about a career opportunity or an internship you want to do, or you want to study abroad next semester. And I'm like, that sounds really cool. And you'll go, yeah, I mean, it's probably not going to work out. I'm like, why? And you're like, well, because I really want it. So God probably like knows it's better for me not to have that, so he won't give it to me. Like God really hates you, and he wants to get you really psyched up to go to Spain next semester and be like, no. <laughs> you don't need that. I don't want you to be happy. 
Um, we talked about this in community groups last night, if you were in a community group. That the original lie in the Garden of Eden that sank into Adam and Eve's hearts from the serpent was, are you sure that God loves you? How can you be sure? Isn't he really holding back something from you? Um, that's the original lie we believe. Um, and even if you're not a Christian, you need to hear about the kind of judge that God is because, you know, if I talk to you and talk about God being, you're like, you know what? This is what I don't like about your God. Because he just judges people based on these arbitrary rules that nobody can keep. And what, 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 why can't he just let me in? Why is he always got to be judging people all the time? And whether we're a Christian or not, we all need to understand the kind of judge that God is. And Jesus is really telling his disciples when he tells this story. He says, look, if you think God is anything like the judge in this parable, then I'm going to show you what God's justice really looks like. Okay. All these people are coming to Jesus at this time in his, in his ministry. He's heading towards Jerusalem. Okay. He's on his final journey to Jerusalem. And all these people keep coming to him. They're saying, Jesus, when is the kingdom of God going to come? When's it going to happen? When are you going to fix everything? When's God going to come and make everything right? We're oppressed. These people are taking advantage of us. They're killing us. They're, they're taking our money. Um, and to that, Jesus says in verse, verse 7, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. His disciples think they're going to Jerusalem to do Passover. It's like do the high holy day, right? Jesus keeps telling them, and they will not listen to him, that he's going to Jerusalem to die. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to be brought up on fake charges of insurrection. And he is going to come before several unjust judges that do not care anything about justice. They just care about perpetuating their own power. The religious leaders, Pontius Pilate, Herod, he's going to come before all these people and they will not give him justice. Um, he's going to be beaten mercilessly and have to carry the own instrument of his execution. Jesus had to carry his cross. I mean, talk about cruel and unusual punishment. Jesus had to carry the cross to die for something that he wasn't, that he didn't even do. He was forsaken by those he loved. And when he cried out to God, there was no answer. Jesus just said he's going to give justice to his elect. He will, he will give them justice. They cried out to him, and he will answer them. And God did not answer Jesus on the cross. He was totally forsaken. There was no justice that came speedily from God. And he did it willingly. He was not coerced. He did it willingly because he said every sin, every injustice, and all the darkness is going to be judged and put away. I'm going to judge the world, but I will not have my people swept away with that. Um, and it's that crucified Savior, the one that willingly died and gave up everything for his people, that's coming back to judge the world. You catch, did you catch that? The God who died so that unjust people could be made right is the one that's coming back to judge the world. At the end of days, the gospel tells us that we are sinners and must be judged, but that Jesus has been judged and all we must do is trust in that. And so Jesus comes to his disciples that he loves and to you tonight, if you know Jesus or you have an inkling that you might 
want to put your trust in him and says, I'm coming back. It's going to be okay. I'm going to fix everything. And I know it seems like things are a mess. I understand. I'm sorry. I'm coming back. Don't lose heart. I'm for you. Um, The crucified Savior is the judge of the universe. That's what God's justice looks like. He doesn't hold it back. He doesn't say, I'm not going to judge anything. He's a righteous judge, and he pours it all out on Jesus. So, how does Jesus want us to respond to that? Briefly. Jesus says, look, um, at the end of the passage, you think it's all about the judge, and then at the very end he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In the Greek, it's clear, he's saying, will he find the faith of this, like the kind of faith that this widow has on earth? Jesus says when he comes back, he's looking for people like this woman. This is one of the most beautiful things about the gospel and about the Bible. I don't know if they probably don't talk about this in class super often. But so many of the heroes in the Bible are like the oppressed person that everybody hates. And just kind of wants to get rid of and forget they're there. And Jesus is like, no, be like that person. The person that's all the way at the bottom of the power structure She can't get anything, and everyone just wants to pretend like she doesn't exist. That's who I want you to be like. I want you to be like that widow. That's the person I love. That's the person that's up on the pedestal. He says, approach God like this widow. She's humble. She can bring nothing to this equation. Yet she persists. And we can persist in prayer. I don't know why you pray. I don't know if you pray. But if you pray, did you know that you can keep praying? Because God's character is to listen to you and to respond and to care about what's going on with you. So many of you guys think that God just just doesn't care about what's going on with you. God loves to listen. It's a really weird thing to say. Um, You ever like talk to a friend and they're going through something really hard and they're like, they just like sort of verbally like dumped on, like vomited on you and you were just like, that sounds hard, right? Because you don't know what else to say. And then like a week later, they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for talking to me. I really feel like God was there when we were having that conversation. And you're like, uh, I didn't say anything. And it's like, yeah. Because when you listen to someone else's hurt, you're doing what God does. You're being like God to them. You're showing them what God is like. But what do we pray for? This woman's praying for justice. Um, I don't know if you've you've given up praying, if you've never tried. Because you look out and you're like, things aren't right, man. Things aren't right in my life. Things aren't right in my relationship. Things aren't right in the world. Um, God is inviting you to pray to him to break down unjust systems that oppress people, to break down unjust systems in the social strata of this group in this room. Um, God is inviting us to pray for healing, for physical healing, for relational healing, for the conflict inside you when you're like, I just feel like the dark parts are winning. God is saying, I'm coming to give justice. Um, Last thought. My first time I ever was here as the campus minister at App was now two years, three years ago, two years ago. And um, my first night, I get done, I was like, okay, you know, it happened. Didn't like 
explode or there was no fire and everyone didn't run out. Um, and this guy comes up to me, okay? And he says, like, comes in my face, like, really intense. Like, some of you guys do this. I'm, like, walking back there and I was like, Ooh. And this guy comes right in my face and he goes, um, and he tells me about this, like, debilitating physical disease that he has. And he goes, the Bible says that the Lord hears the prayers of a righteous person, and I know if you pray for me right now, he'll take it away. Uh, this is something the dude had been struggling with his entire life. Yeah. So what would you say? Um, uh, I was like, well, let's talk about what a righteous person <laughs> means. Um, that's what I wanted to say. Um, he's like, I know that God will take it away. And I got to tell him, and it is my pleasure as a sinner redeemed by God's grace to tell you. I said, I will pray for that right now. And I will hope that the Lord does it. But even if he doesn't answer this prayer right now, he is going to answer this prayer in the end. It will, sickness will go away and death will go away and tears will go away and he's coming. So he's going to answer it. Whatever it is, whether it's for the millionth time or the first time, Jesus, the crucified Savior, is coming. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much that you love us, that you've given yourself for us. Thank you that you judge the world in righteousness, that nothing is going to get by you, but at the same time you have given yourself that we might be protected from that judgment. Thank you that all of our sin, if we are in you, is on you, and that you're coming, that you're coming to make everything right. That's our hope. Lord, if there are those in here tonight with that hope is really small and dwindling, or that hope doesn't even exist, Lord, would you work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.